Howdy, everyone. Are you a diehard movie fan who can't get enough of your favorite films? Then we have just the thing for you. Go to MoviesByMinutes.com, the ultimate destination for movie enthusiasts like you. MoviesByMinutes.com is the hub for all things movies, but with a unique twist. Instead of watching a film in one sitting, you can dive deep into your favorite movies one minute at a time. It's like getting an exclusive behind-the-scenes pass to your most beloved movies, and we break down iconic movies into bite-sized episodes where our hosts dissect and discuss each minute of cinematic magic. Whether you're a fan of Agic... Whether you're a fan of action-packed blockbusters, heartwarming rom-coms, spine-chilling thrillers, or even classic masterpieces, MoviesByMinutes.com has a podcast series for your every genre and taste. Get ready to enhance your movie-watching experience like never before. MoviesByMinutes.com. It's like having a front-row seat to the magic of the silver screen, one minute at a time. Don't miss out on this cinematic adventure, folks. Visit MoviesByMinutes.com today and unlock a whole new dimension of movie appreciation. And this episode is brought to you by Die Real Estate and Land Company. They are the real estate agents based in Northwest Ohio that are the go-to company for people who enjoy the rural lifestyle and are looking to buy and sell some property. The whole team is amazing. I've used them in the past. Uh, I'm partial to Jaylene myself for obvious reasons, but uh, they're all there for you whenever you need them. If you're in the market, just drop them a line at info at dierealestate.com. That's info at dyerealestate.com. And don't forget to tell them, support your local podcast sent you. Uh, Daily Bedite, our gallant night, in sunshine and in shadow. Had journeyed long. What's that all about? Just a poem, one of Johnny Diamond's favorites. Let's see. Daily Bedite, a gallant night, in sunshine and in shadow. Had journeyed long, singing a song in search of El Dorado. Howdy, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, take a sip on a nice cold drink. It's El Dorado, the season three of Support Your Local Podcast, where we take a look at the 1966 John Wayne classic El Dorado, one chapter at a time. I'm your host, as always, Robert Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today, we'll be taking a look at chapter five, a sobering recipe. But before we do that, uh, let's take a moment and take a bit of a deeper dive into one of our cast and crew, a a mover and shaker, if you will, in a segment that I like to call Remember the Name. You don't remember me, do you? No. You remember this hat? Well, why in the hell would I remember a hat? (laughs) All right, welcome to another episode of Remember the Name. Uh, Today, we are going to take a look at one Mr. Arthur Honeycutt, uh, affectionately known as Bull in our our movie, El Dorado. Uh, Mr. Honeycutt, uh, a very, very um, prolific theater actor in his earlier career. Uh, He finally stepped into the, the big screen in the early 1940s. Uh, 1942, he was in Wildcat, uh, also in 42, Fall In, Pardon My Gun, uh, 43, The Fighting Buckaroo, 
43 as well, Law of the Northwest, uh, Frontier Fury, uh, Robin Hood of the Range, Johnny Come Lately, Hell to the Rangers, uh, Riding West. Um, if you're seeing a bit of a pattern, uh, apparently uh, one Mr. Honeycutt is very, very, very cut from the cloth of the, the Western uh, scene. You know, he had some TV appearances. He was in most of the the regular um, kind of the, 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 the go-tos of that time frame, you know, the, the bonanzas, the riflemen's, the, the, all, all those that most of our people that were in acting during the forties, fifties, and sixties that you're going to see him pop up for. Uh, but back still into the forties, the we have border incident, uh, stars of my crown, a ticket to Tomahawk, broken arrow, not the John Travolta classic. Just kidding. Um, Two Flags West, Sugarfoot, uh, Passage West, The Red Badge of Courage, uh, Distant Drums. Finally, in 1952, uh, one Mr. Arthur Honeycutt is actually a Academy Award nominee. Uh, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor as Zeb Calloway and also the narrator in The Big Sky. Um, so, you know, just shows the, the depth of our cast and crew that we have in this movie. You know, last year with The Quick and the Pod, we had so many Academy Award nominees. Here we have, you know, John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, James Caan, Ed Asner, Pete, you know, all these names, you know, even Bull. I, in watching this movie, I did not know that Bull would be an Academy Award nominee, but he was, in fact. Uh, split Second, Devil's Canyon. Uh, Beautiful but Dangerous, The Last Command, where he played Davy Crockett. Uh, the Kettles in the Ozarks, Cheyenne. Uh, the Tall T, Born Reckless. Like I said, he was in uh, four episodes of Bonanza, The Rifleman, Andy Griffith Show, uh, My Three Sons, The Donna Reed Show, Twilight Zone, Perry Mason, uh, The Outer Limits, Wagon Train, uh, Cat Baloo, Apache Uprising. Finally, in 1966, we have Bull Harris and El Dorado. Uh, 1967, The Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin. Uh, he's in The Wild Wild West. Uh, the Million Dollar Duck. I'm intrigued. I'll admit, I'm intrigued by The Million Dollar Duck. Uh, Miss, Mrs. Sundance, uh, Harry and Tonto, uh, The Spikes Gang, Moon Runners, and finally in 1975 with Winterhawk. Uh, so a, a prolific career, career going across you know, 30, 35 years. Um, obviously, Mr. Honeycutt is no longer with us, um, but I just want to take a quick moment and talk about uh, one Mr. Arthur Honeycutt who played Bull. Again, still not a fan of the name and the and the character. When I think of Bull, I think of big guys. Um, as we're recording this, Bull from Night Court just passed away. That's what I think of when I think of a Bull, like strong like Bull. Uh, but, you know, hey, he blows a bugle when he comes. This has been Remember the Name. Hey, uh... I suppose I've asked this before, but just who, who is he? Tell him your name, Mississippi. Alan Bedillion Traherne. Well, no wonder he carries a knife. And we're back. We left off last chapter with Mississippi and the Duke murdering several innocent cacti before riding off ahead of the posse that's, that's there to chase them from the environmental agencies. We... We start today with the pair riding into uh, Main Street of a town at night. It's, uh, it's dark, so I can't see any signs of the buildings or anything identifying it as the same street we, we saw JP walking down in the beginning. 
However, as the Duke told us at the end of last chapter that they'd be getting to El Dorado around midnight, and as sparse as towns were back then, and they even are now, I have to imagine that they've arrived to El Dorado. Mississippi asks where they're going, and the Duke says that they're going to go see a girl, which, poor Maudie. Uh, I, I mean, we saw earlier that the first thing the Duke likes to do when he gets in town is find a girl and give her the old dominoes. But, you know, I mean, this time they're literally right here in El Dorado, where presumably Maudie also still is. So, poor Maudie. They, they ride back into what could only be called like a back alley, and the Duke hops off his horse and knocks on a window to one of the buildings. Poor Maudie. Not only does the Duke hook up with a prostitute, but one he has to sneak into the back alley to see, you know? We, we cut to the inside of the building and we see, hey, that is Maudie. A very um, <clears throat> uh, suggestively dressed Maudie at that. Um, she's either tying or untying her shoes. I'm, I'm not sure because... Well, frankly, I'm I'm noticing the, the black stockings and bustier that she's half wearing. Um, even for 1960s, it's, uh, yeah. Um, at at the, the knock on the window, she grabs a robe and she throws it over her shoulders before walking to the window and seeing that it's Cole coming and knocking at her place. And little sidebar here, this does very little to answer my previous question of whether, or excuse me, where the hell everyone was earlier in the movie when Cole was leaving town. You know, that was clearly a place not right there in the middle of town because uh, we saw, you know, a bowl coming up. And if Maudie is in this state of undress, presumably she's getting finished for the night then this would be her place. So maybe the sheriff has a little place outside of town and he has the mariachi band on retainer rather than Maudie? Question mark? Still not quite sure. Though I do, I guess, it, it does make a bit more sense that that place is where the cold, hard, uncomfortable bed was that the Duke was guaranteed not to be bounced around on. And, you know, the sheriff has a worker in, in Linda. You know, maybe that, that, does, that does jive. Um, Maudie is rightfully surprised to see Cole. And after Cole tells her they need to talk but keep it quiet, she says she'll meet him at the door. So before walking over to it, she does what we're all doing. She's, you know, checking her out in the mirror and making sure that she's looking, as Ric Flair would say, all the way live. Woo! Uh, she meets him at the door, and we see as the Duke is beginning to tell Mississippi something that the door was literally right next to the window. So my question, why didn't he start there by knocking on the door first? Don't get it. Anywho, Maudie opens the door with her robe still open, and she begins to talk to Cole before she notices that he is, in fact, not alone. And, in fact, there is a Mississippi sitting atop his horse there. She finally finds a bit of modesty and closes her robe as James Conn quickly kind of stutters out his, his wordy name in an in introduction. 
Uh, the Duke walks in, and he leaves poor Mississippi to watch as he kicks the door shut with his boot, and he begins a, a hugging and a squeezing on Maudie. It, uh, it cuts to the interior of the two. Um, they're still hugging, and I notice that they don't kiss. When we last saw these two, the Duke was breaking Maudie's heart and riding off into the sunset, but he at least kissed her on the way out. So now this appears to be nothing more than just a, a friendly embrace of someone he hasn't seen in a while. But uh, meanwhile, from the, the checking herself out in the mirror to opening the door, looking the way that she did, even the look on her face as they part from the hug, Maudie is D-T-F. Big time. Uh, the Duke sobers up the mood quickly as he needs to ask Maudie some questions. You know, did any strangers ride into town recently? Also, did anyone with a big scar across his cheek named Nels McLeod with four or five riders come in? And Maudie says she's heard the name before, but they haven't come into town and, and she would have known. And incoming catchphrase from me. But I found something interesting here. I'm definitely going to have to get that shirt made. Um, the Duke had asked her if Nels was riding in with four or five guys. Now, when we left Nels at the bar, he originally had three guys with him. But poor Charlie didn't quite make it, thanks, thanks to Mississippi. So he has Milt and Pedro. So one, how would the Duke know that he had more people with him than what was in the bar? Or two, how would Nels have time to get other guys and still potentially make it to El Dorado before Cole got there. You know, perhaps the thought is that Nels had already made it to Bart Jason's place and picked up a couple homies, maybe, question mark. Now, he's pretty sure he's made it in time before McLeod shows up. Now he wants to know what happened to JP while he was gone. And apparently after Cole left, Maudie didn't see much of him other than stopping in for a drink once in a while. So, maybe Maudie owns the saloon from earlier? Question mark? Uh, anywho, JP was lonely, and a woman came into town on the stagecoach. The Duke correctly guesses that she must have had big sad eyes and a long sad story because that's his type. Which, that led me to several questions. One... We found out earlier that there was some sort of something that happened in the past between Maudie and JP. And we know that when Maudie first met Cole, not JP, stay with me on this one. I do promise it's going somewhere. Anyways, when she met Cole, she was a gambler's widow without a chip to her name. And he took care of her. So does that mean that Maudie fit the bill of JP's type? Like, even when she was back on her feet and making something of her life, the fact that she had a sad story and big eyes uh, attracted JP? Second, how often has this happened that JP is known by everyone to have this type? And does that mean he's been a drunken mess before? I'm admittedly confused. So apparently everyone tried to tell JP that this lady was no good. And it even got to the point that he knocked Bull down. Like, damn, dude, 
Bo looks like he's a buck oh five and 50 years old in Old West years when the life expectancy was like 30. So like, take it easy, JP. Just the, the lady apparently ran off on him and he hasn't been sober in the two months since. Which leads back to my previous question I had, uh, I think it was last episode, on how fast did this all happen to JP? So Cole got shot, healed, and left a few months ago. JP's been drunk for two months now. <coughs> Excuse me. So if train B leaves Boston at 4 p.m., going 70 miles per hour, and Mrs. Turtletaub has nine apples, then by my math, that gave JP just one month to stop in from time to time, lonely at Maudie's place, meet the lady, fall so in love with the lady, have time for his friends to say, hey, maybe she's no good, him pushing bowl and her leaving. Like, damn, I, I said it before, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. Life came at you fast in the Old West. And it also speaks a bit to how JP is as a man. So, I mean, I've been around enough drunkards in my life, and I'm not pointing fingers, given a, given a few different life choices. Hell, I, I could easily have been one of them and may have even been at some point. And I know how it can change a person. But it doesn't sound like he was a drunk while these things were happening. It sounds like it was an after effect. So I'm just going to throw this out there. Bear with me. Maybe JP's a dick. Just saying. Cole confirms he can meet him over at the jail, and Maudie says he's still the sheriff, though I don't know why. Uh, Which... Let's put a pin in that, because I'm sure I have more to say about the political landscape of El Dorado in in a minute. Monty then says she'll have a room and something for the Duke to eat when he gets back, which, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, eh, eh. She 1,000% puts her DTF look back on, but alas, the Duke just politely removes her hands and walks away. Now, the Duke is 59 when this movie was made peek behind the curtain. And Charlene Holt, who plays Maudie, is only 38. And I get it that maybe Blue Chew wasn't a thing back then, but alas, she's she's giving him all the signals. All the signals. The, The Duke meets back up with Mississippi outside and they ride over to the jail. There's this great shot of the blackness outside of a window. And if you're not expecting it, you might miss the silhouette of someone sitting in a chair outside of the window. And it's, it's again, much like the ambush with Milton Pedro back, back an episode ago. It's, it's just an awesome job that the, the DP and the director are doing playing with light and shadows. Um, you know, if this was another movie, if you put a sinister score over this image... And all of a sudden, you're in a Bray, you're, you're, you're in a Bray Wyatt promo or something from The Conjuring. And the, the Duke in Mississippi are halted by the voice behind the shadow as he tells him, You shall not pass. Well, at least he, 
he tells them that's as far as they're getting until he knows what the hell they want. But he stands up and is an even bigger imposing specter, you know, silhouetted behind the, the light coming from the window. And we recognize the voice as Bull, but he's definitely not the friendly type that he was earlier. And Cole says, hey, Bull, what's, what's the deal? It's, it's me, Cole Thornton. You know, maybe he's having flashbacks of his friend JP also pointing a gun at him for apparently no reason. And Bull finally greets him and says he might have recognized him if it wasn't so dark and if he wasn't trying to figure out what that other guy was wearing on his head. Again, the guy's not wearing a suit of armor. He's not wearing fucking antlers. It's just a hat. Just a hat. Mississippi even says, it's called a hat. To which Bull replies, well, I guess I'll have to take your word for it. And after the introductions, the Duke tells Bull he's seen Maudie and heard about the sheriff. Bull waves vaguely towards the door and he says he's back there somewhere. He warns Cole that since you've known him longer than I have, then you know to be careful waking him up as he's a mean drunk and he hasn't put the stopper in that bottle in a coon's age. Which, by my math, a coon's age is now only two months. And I always thought that term meant much, much longer than that, and that it meant that raccoons lived forever. But no, no, not at all. Two months. Two months. That's it. Who knew? He asks if there's a place to put the horses undercover, and that not everyone find out that he's back in town just yet. Bull gets the hint, and he asks if something's going down, and the Duke tells him Bart Jason's up to no good. Bull says he's, he's not surprised and that he had an itch on the back of his neck he used to get when a Comanche was around and he couldn't see him. And he leads the horses along with Mississippi, uh, along toward the side of the building as the Duke goes into the jail. We, we cut to the inside and I see something that I just have to comment on. For all the times that I shit on continuity in these movies, in every movie, and I admit, I'm, I'm a bit of a snob with, with that. The, this movie has an awesome bit of continuity that doesn't really have to be there. As the Duke is walking across the front room of the sheriff's office, there is a window in the background. And we actually see the continuation of Bull and Mississippi walking the horses towards the back of the building. And your eyes are, of course, on John Wayne, and it's easy to not notice. And truly, if I hadn't have happened, you know, if it hadn't happened, I'm fairly sure that no one would have said anything or even noticed. But the fact that it is there, I have to give props to the movie. It is a beautiful, beautiful piece of continuity, and I, I will give props when, when I see it. Also, seeing the interior of this, I'm not 100% sure if it is the same one, but this looks just like the same sheriff's office I've seen in countless movies. And one that you would be familiar with is Support Your Local Sheriff. Go see season one of, of the, the show. And I'm pretty sure Rio Bravo. Given that you know so many of these movies were shot at the old Tucson studios, it's a good chance that it is, in fact, the exact same room. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure. Cole walks across the room to the back, and we see a, a sleeping J.P. Hera on a jail bunk. And this creeping silhouette of the Duke's shadow passes across his prone figure. 
and with the cowboy hat on, there's there's this moment where the Duke's shadow looks a little bit like either Freddy Krueger or Indiana Jones, depending on which fedora wearer your mind goes to first. And the Duke lights a match and he ignites a, a lantern lamp, which, to the movie maker's credit, very slowly brings up the lights in the room. You know, too often you'll see someone light this little match or a small lantern and automatically the bright spotlights of Hollywood illuminate the entire room. But here it's, it's done very well and, and very believably. John Wayne stands there and he's looking in disgust at the sheriff lying there. And at this point in time, he doesn't really look that bad. You know, we'll see in a bit that he's, he's definitely disheveled. But the brief glimpse we got just a moment ago, he just looked like someone laying there. And if Mississippi and Cole got in town at midnight, like he said they would, they've been to Maudie's and then over to the jail. You know, it's, it's very conceivably one in the morning at the earliest. So what's so wrong with a guy sleeping in the middle of the night, especially if he has a guy like Bull there to take shifts with on the, on the lookout? The Duke hollers, hey, but it's, it's, it's to no avail. So he looks around the room and he sees what looks like a brass bucket. And he picks it up and I, I promise, I'll remember to make this the screenshot for this episode on Facebook. The Duke stands there a moment and cocks his hip before dumping the liquid on the unsuspecting JP. And I laugh at this every time because the little hip cocking that he does looks like he's standing there with a sassy attitude. And here we have what many may call like the pinnacle of macho masculinity in John Wayne. And I don't know, you'll, you'll know what I mean when, when you see it. Also, notice I called what he dumps on him the liquid. You know, we, we have no idea what was in that bucket. Is that the water bin for cleaning up? Or is that the piss bucket for the jail cell? I'm going to guess that the Duke wouldn't dump piss on his friend. But we do learn later that JP is a bit pungent. So maybe. Question mark? It's something that we see again in Pirates of the Caribbean when they awake Mr. Gibbs in that pigsty. You know, if, if only there was a second bucket for him to dump on JP, I'd love to see the facial reactions of Robert Mitchum yelling, I'm already awake! And the Duke saying that that one was for the smell. But, alas. Uh, this, of course, wakes up JP, and when he reaches for his bottle of booze, the Duke kicks it out of his hand. And he looks like he recognizes Cole. And Cole says he's looking at a 10 star with a drunk pin to it, which, you know, sick burn. And JP says, woohoo, Cole Thornton's here. Why don't you help me up, Cole? And when he does, he belts the Duke across the face. He does get a couple rib shots in. When Cole takes what appears to be some big metal plate, or maybe it's a bedpan to go along with my, my piss bucket theory, and he rings the bell of JP. And there's this great cross-eyed expression from Robert Mitchum at, at the blow. And I'm reminded of the classic episode of Monday Night Raw. Yes, guys, I'm a wrestling fan. I'm sorry. 
where Stone Cold Steve Austin attacks Mr. McMahon in the hospital. And we get the loud clang of a bedpan shot upside the head. The Duke rears back to return the punch, but Bull stops him, yelling from the doorway to not even bother because he wouldn't feel it. So even in 1966, they knew what the Joker proved to be true in The Dark Knight. You never start with the head because then they won't feel anything after that. Rings true. He, he lets go of JP's shirt and we get a great delayed timber as he goes tumbling back down onto the bed. Cole says, well, I'll owe him one still. And he asks Mississippi or Bull if they know a surefire way to sober a man up. Since they were all out of screaming Indians, Bull's idea wasn't very useful. However, Mississippi does remember a recipe that Johnny Diamond used to talk about. And Cole sends the two to wake up the general store owner and gather the supplies. Bull hollers, watch out, as JP smashes a chair, fortunately on the bars of the cell around him, instead of on the head of Cole. And Cole finally evens the score by punching JP and knocking him back unconscious. He then calmly turns back around and he asks what they're waiting for. You know, just another day in the office of punching my drunk sheriff friend who just tried to maim me. You know, it must be Tuesday. We dissolve back to Cole in Mississippi standing at the table inside the jail. And there's various bottles lying around as Mississippi mixes the ungodly concoction in a, in a pan. And I, I did a little bit of looking up to see what exactly he, he names the recipe in the movie, but I didn't know what a lot of those fancy words were. So I took the time to look them up just for you guys. His recipe consists of cayenne pepper, something most of us are probably familiar with, um, but it contains capsaicin, which can help increase metabolism. Um, but the overall effect is very small and certainly too small to make a, a noticeable impact. That's quotes from the, the webpage that I got this from. Uh, mustard, the hot kind, uh, also metabolism. So I, from all the metabolism talk, I'm thinking that they're trying to burn up the alcohol in his system a little bit quicker than it, than it would. Uh, epicac, which is used to rapidly force vomiting. And it would be used when, uh, back in the past when people uh, ingested poison. So basically a quick way to, to pump your stomach. Um, Asafetida is a resin that comes from a plant. Uh, Very often it's added to spice mixtures and used in many recipes. Um, Can be used in a remedy wide variety of purposes. Some studies have shown that it can be successfully used in treating irritable bowel syndrome. So as someone who has suffered from IBS in the past, uh, I think if you were curing that, then you're preventing your body from getting rid of a lot of stuff. Not entirely sure why that would be in there then. Croton oil, which when Mississippi mentions that one, uh, bull's eyes are about to bug on and goes, Croton oil? Um, some people use it for constipation. Um, it says here that a single drop of it can cause acute diarrhea. So, yeah. Maybe it's to, to counteract the, the other one. And then gunpowder. And so I found surprise on the webpage. It says in the 1800s and early 1900s, it wouldn't be bad for you to have a small amount of gunpowder. Um, 
because it's it's basically saltpeter, which they use in cooking. And um, But now we have so many chemicals and all that stuff that it, it would be a little bit toxic. So... <laughs> I don't know about you, but I I don't quite believe in the recipe that they're using. Um, they may just be trying to kill JP at this point. We'll see. So as he's mixing this stuff up, Bull comes in and he dumped, he says, oh yeah, here's that gunpowder, which <laughs> uh, surprises the Duke. He says, oh yeah, he remembered it on the way to the store and they dumped the gunpowder in. John Wayne rightfully asked, are you sure that Johnny Diamond wasn't actually an embalmer? And I'm wondering if we're going to get a shot in this movie of JP turning into Wile E. Coyote and either exploding or firing off into space. Because this is, it's going to get cartoony here real quick, guys. He, he pours the mixture into a coffee cup and the three walk over to the, the now snoring JP laying on the bed. Bull lays across JP's legs. The Duke holds down his arms and torso, and Mississippi pinches JP's nose so that he'll be forced to gulp down the cure or poison. There's some nice snore acting by Robert Mitchum right before, and you almost expect like a feather to be floating up and down on his breathing, like Goofy or something. And for a second, there's no reaction outside of JP gasping to gulp it down. Then, oh then... Oh, then we get what is the funniest moment in the entire movie. And I know in a previous episode, I mentioned the Swede story as being one of the two funniest. Well, in case you're wondering, here's the winner. As Robert Mitchum convulses like he's a zombie turning in a George Romero film, the Duke hollers, let's get out of here. And we have the three grown-ass men, one of which is the Duke himself, John fucking Wayne, run for the cell door and slam it shut. And they're all childishly looking through the bars to see what's going to happen next, like they're in a fucking Little Rascals cartoon. I laugh every single time. We, we dissolve to the outside, and it's now daytime. The, the Duke and Mississippi are walking down the street, and Cole's holding a rifle, and Khan has his hand on his holstered shotgun. They, they walk up to the front of the jail, and we see their security protocol of hollering inside the bowl that they're coming in. And it's something we see in Rio Bravo as well, only this time, I don't know that Bowl really cares so much. The, the door is wide open. And he's just standing there pouring coffee. They, they all grab cups to join Bull for a cup of joe. And they ask how long until the concoction from earlier is going to work on the sheriff. He's not sure or even that it will sober him up. But it will make his stomach not tolerate any, any alcohol. And Bull laments the fact that you know humans are the only creatures on earth that will destroy themselves like that. Which... Pretty deep thoughts for a simple 1960s Western, you know. Mongo is but a simple pawn in life. JP hollers from the cell for Bull to open the bars of the, of the door, and Bull mutters under his breath, I'm still drunk, before replying, open it yourself, it's not even locked. And JP gets up and staggers towards the front, and 
all while burping and coughing and definitely, definitely not in the best condition for sure. He then stops at the door and he says a line that I have copied throughout the years, usually when someone's picking on me. My friends, lousy, stinking, no good. And then I'm pretty sure he even throws in like a Yosemite Sam, muffin. He then laments his stomach woes as he, as he looks through his drawer for a bottle of rye. And he doesn't remember Mississippi from last night. Keep, keep track of how many times he asks him throughout the movie who he is. We'll get a, we'll get a scoreboard and bing, add one, to the, add one to the list. And Bull finally tells him the bottle's in the top drawer of his desk. When JP finds that you know, no one's going to stop him from taking a swig, he takes two healthy gulps and immediately regrets his decision. And we get more Yosemite Samisms as he, he doubles over and he curses them all the way back to the jail cell where I'm not sure if he's going to throw up, shit himself, or perhaps both. But uh, we end our scene just as we were about to find out if those indeed were a piss bucket and bedpan. So what happens next? You have to stay tuned and find out uh, this and more when we return next time with Elder Pado. Until then, as always, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Support Your Local Podcast. Please take the time to like and follow us there. If you have a free moment, something that is absolutely free, but you can help me out a great deal with is rating and reviewing us on whatever podcast you find us on. And until again, we meet again, folks. I love you. Always, please, 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 forever and always support your local podcast. And when his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. Shadow, said he, where can it be? This land called El Dorado. Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow. Ride, boldly ride, the shade replied. You search for El Dorado.